0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my two co-hosts as usual, Miss Tiffany B. Hey. And Dan. Ladies. Hey, hey, everyone. So if you're listening to this and thinking, isn't this supposed to be a broadcast news episode, you would normally be correct, except we, well, Tiff and Dan recently got back from Gen Con 2015, and it is time to recap all of the awesome stuff from the convention, with me just sitting beside and wishing I was there. Uh, So we've got some news stuff to go over, cool releases and game announcements. We're going to talk about some of the hits of the cons, some of the games that we liked, some of the talk of the town, what everyone was interested in, maybe even some sleeper picks if there were any, and maybe talk about some stuff that didn't hit so right. And then we will wrap up the show. So let's go ahead and kick it off into some news stories. Dan, tell us about... What was good with the press releases at Gen Con? Uh, There was a lot of
1: news, so I'm only going to keep it to the stuff that interested me. Uh, (laughs) Selfishly speaking, but I think most of this stuff will interest everyone. Um, It was just so much to keep track of that I don't think Tiff and I could really wrap our heads around it. Gen Con's such a massive cluster F. It's just nuts. We'll start out with something that was announced. I guess the first day we got there was Wednesday, and this was the sale of plaid hat to f2z these are the guys who own pretzel games z-man and philosophia plaid hat is going to according to what we heard is going to maintain all their kind of creative licensing to go about designing games as they design games um the the merger here kind of comes into play more on the production side so plaid hat has more time to focus on what they do best, which is designing games that Matt likes. And then we will, we'll and see. And many, many people at Gen Con liked. Yes, there, there was a ton of people at the Plat Hat booth, uh, which is cool because they're good guys and their games are really pretty. Yeah, so this, again, um, I think Isaac talked more about it on the Geek All-Stars when we were recording that, how it affects Plat Hat uh, specifically. But again, the gist was it's not going to, harm them in any way as far as their game making capabilities just kind of increase their visibility overseas as well as um, their production i think it just makes french people very happy now
0: that's the biggest news
1: yeah french people like pretty games and plat hat makes pretty games so there's a marriage there so moving right along start with another kind of minor story but this one excited me uh upper deck announced two new legendary systems Um, the first one is kind of silly uh, it's Big Trouble in Little China. I I don't know how this one came about. Great <laughs> movie. I don't know how it's going to play out in board game form. but
2: I've never seen the movie, but it is beloved by a lot of people. Oh, it's yeah, a,
0: It's a
1: cult classic. I, so
2: I, that's why. I
0: assume you'll just play through the movie like you do with the Alien and the Predator ones. Yeah, and that might be interesting. Uh, it might be pretty
1: wacky, actually. So yeah. uh, curious to see that one. And then the one that excites me more than anything is Legendary Firefly. So they're going to be Ooh. using their Firefly license to make a legendary game out
2: of it. Whew. I'm excited. I hope it's as good as the Alien one because I just, I want a game where I can live Firefly and it doesn't take up like three tables worth of space.
0: <laughs> yep, I like the board game, but I do too, I'm excited for this too.
2: But it doesn't come out very often because I'm lazy.
0: Yeah, it'd be nice to
1: condense the Firefly experience into like an hour and a half or less. Like a dice game?
2: Oh, yeah, that'd not, be nice, too. We're not, we're not we're not there yet. We're not going to talk about the dice
1: game just yet.
2: Not ready for it.
1: FFG had a couple of announcements, as always. They had some beforehand, um, but some of the things that I noticed when I was there was, first off, and this excites me, is the Imperial Salt second big box expansion called Return to Hoth. Um, they had all kinds of crazy miniatures displayed for this one after the release of the Shadows one, which just came out at Gen Con as well. That's the Boba Fett one. But this one, as the title states, you're going to be on Hoth. It had some really cool like giant Bantha Rider mini- miniatures. Isn't there a Wampa? There is a Wampa. I have oh, pictures oh, and it'll be in my Gen Con wrap up post once I finish that. But yeah, a lot of cool miniatures they had. So everything in snow gear, etc. I think they had some speeders. I didn't see an ATAT. How would that
0: fit on the board? I don't know. Be wild.
1: Yeah, they'll do it. So they'll do it. They had ATSTs already, so they can make ATATS. ATATS are really big compared to ATSTs. That's fine. They'll figure it out. But <laughs> I didn't see one, um, unless I missed it. So that was the first big bit of news. As we mentioned before, Fury of Dracula is getting a reprint. They had that on demo as well as display in their cases. So stop by to watch a little bit of that. That was a demo that was packed pretty much every day, all hours of the Fender Hall. But it it seems from what I understand, I've never played the original, but it seems pretty true to the original with just some additional upgrades component wise. And the rules are apparently a little bit more streamlined, especially only the combat side of things. So fans of that, hooray. Uh, Again, I'll have pictures of that. Runebound? I guess this is Runebound, is it 3rd Edition? 3rd Edition, yeah. 3rd Edition. I don't know much about Runebound. It's one of those games that I never got around to trying, but people are excited about this. Yeah, A lot of people. I know we were talking this week to our local store owner, and that was like his most anticipated game after leaving Gen Con, so... I guess there's a little nostalgia there, a little bit of buzz. Maybe they'll upgrade again as they do with their different editions. But stay tuned for Runebound. I think that's coming later this year, if not early 2016. And the last one here, Matt put on the list and I'm going to let him talk about because I have
0: no idea what it is. I don't know too much about it, but it's Warhammer Quest, the adventure card game. It was another one that had people buzzing at the FFG booth. Um, basically, it's a re-implementation of Warhammer Quest, one of their old game systems, into a cooperative adventure-style card game. So I'm I'm thinking Pathfinder, but I haven't seen any gameplay to say whether or not it looks like Pathfinder. Um, but I know that War, Warhammer Quest is a beloved property, so that uh, people some people are excited to see it come back. That's cool. I have zero interest in
1: Warhammer, so I always usually kind of glaze over when I hear these Warhammer announcements, because I, I got into that back when I was like 12 and got out of it real quick. And that was like 40 years ago, so. Not 40. 21. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's get Tiffany on the mic here, because I'm going to.
2: Oh my God, I'm so bored. Sorry, Tiff, guys.
0: Tell us about Yellow. <laughs> tell us about the PowerPoint presentation. at Yellow.
2: Well, they have a ton of things coming out. So many that they couldn't show all of us what they had going on. So
1: I don't know. I was just looking at my list. I took notes a little bit. Did you? Yeah. Tiff and I got to go to the Yellow Press event, which is where they kind of wine and dine you with appetizers and free drinks. And they kind of put on a presentation, like Tiff said, a little PowerPoint where they kind of showed off some of the imagery from upcoming games. Didn't get too much into gameplay, um, which I was kind of bummed about which differed greatly from Day's press event, which we'll get into next. But Kabuki, which was a game we were really hoping, that's their next little box game. So I think Welcome to the Dungeon-sized, but um, Kabuki instead <laughs> 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 has art from Nighty. It was the Takedo guy, so it, it looks beautiful. I can't wait for that one. Um, they also announced guy the Guy or
2: girl? I thought that
1: was a girl. Nighty? No, it's a yeah. guy. I met him last oh. year at Gen Con and got him to Fancy. sign a couple of things. They also announced the next children's book line, or and there's, what is it called? The children's stories line. I can't think of the name of the line yeah. specifically, but it's going to be Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, there are some advanced copies floating around there, so I think it's due out real soon. Didn't get a lot into that. Again, just know what it is.
2: The thing that I was excited about that they had up there that I actually kind of knew what the gameplay was is they're releasing Happy Pigs.
1: Yes. With,
2: like, fancy yellow art and probably no pixelated... Pig genitalia would be my guess. (laughs) Yeah, I think they're
1: going to eliminate the pig sex from happy pigs, which is all right.
2: (laughs) But the art is really interesting, like square, pretty stuff. Like all the animals look square. It's stylized.
1: It's cool. And again, we have pictures of all this stuff. Yellow sent them over to us in a drop box somewhere, which I will eventually get into my post, which I've just been dragging my feet on. And that's coming in first quarter. So end of year thing, just to wrap it up, I guess the one other thing we had touched on this in a news story was the big book of madness. And they had a, a rough prototype copy that they had uh, put together really quickly before the con. But this is the one where you're kind of you have this giant storybook that folds over the pages, which are made of cardboard, et cetera. But it's kind of an adventure and you're going through and it looks awesome. Go back and listen to the news where I get into more details. I forget which episode mm-hmm. it is, but. Um, that one should be out by Essen.
2: They also have some King of New York characters or King of Tokyo monster packs that are coming out. They mentioned that. Cool. So that probably will excite some people that will come with new power-up cards. Did they so have not-
0: Candy Chaser? Did they talk about that? Yes, they did. It looks funny. The art's yes. really cutesy. I All want to be an illegal art. candy smuggler. Candy Chaser
1: is another one coming out end of, by end of this year, they hope. Some other first quarter releases they got into, Bunny Clan, which is a Richard Garfield design. Again, not a lot of details on the gameplay, but with Richard Garfield behind it, it'll probably be interesting, to say the least. They have a Bowser game called Oceanos coming out, as well as Shadows Over Normandy, which is a spiritual successor to Heroes Over Normandy, only this is commanding the armies of the undead. I think there's some Cthulhu in there there's too. There's probably Cthulhu. Everything has yeah. freaking Cthulhu. <laughs> and Skylooters, which is another game that they spoke about. Again, it was kind of a letdown that they didn't get too much into gameplay.
2: I mean, they listed mechanics. Yeah, I wish I could remember some of them.
1: Briefly, yeah, it was a lot to take yeah. in because it was a, it was a quick PowerPoint. It was well done. The guy, Keith, presenting it. I guess I was too captivated by the images they were showing to kind of Mm -hmm. listen to what he was saying. All this stuff coming relatively soon. I think they said they have something on tap like 21 releases next year. So Yellow is going to be busy and they're all going to be beautiful.
2: Yeah, that's pretty much that.
1: Quick rundown of that. So the other press event that Tiff and I got to go to on Thursday was Asmoday. And we all know that all three of us are huge Asmoday fanboys and girls so this one was probably the highlight of my trip. Yeah, mine too. As far as press duties were concerned, it was a very nice, um, get together. It was a four, four and a half, five hours long. Um, and what we got to do is we got to go in there and it was just a bunch of reviewers and a lot of the Asmodee stable of designers. So Bowser, Cathala, all those guys, I think Fadoody was there. A bunch of their their bigger name dudes were all there and they were demoing in some cases, other times they weren't because they had to leave for other commitments. But a lot of them were demoing their games, their upcoming Asmodee releases. And you basically got to sit down at a table and kind of circulate and play and demo these unreleased Asmodee games, which was Awesome, because as we all know, they put out some really cool games. So I don't know if you want to start with, but Tiff, we could probably just start with the one we got um, sucked into right away, which was the new Ticket to Ride.
2: I gotta say, I was a little sad when we were sat down at that Ticket to Ride table. I was like, oh man. Yeah, with all but the other was, cool stuff. But it it, it it got way better, because I think this is the, the most excited I've been about Ticket to Ride in a very long time.
1: Yeah, I will, I will say- will playing it this is probably going to be the only other ticket to ride I will ever buy when it comes out for one. It's uh, so it's ticket to ride United Kingdom. So the map is consisting of Wales, Ireland, the UK, Well, not that you can England and then a little bit of France on the kind of the periphery at the bottom of the board, how this differs from the others. And if you can comment on it, too, this is what intrigues me the most about it is you there's technology cards and you actually your train starts out only being being able to build two space routes and through discarding of wild cards, wild cards being kind of like the currency to buy these upgraded technologies you can upgrade your train abilities. So there's three levels of upgrades and these upgrades allow you to build bigger trains. They also allow you to build into different countries. So again, I'm not sure how everyone's, how familiar everyone is with the UK, but there's a lot of water that breaks up these different countries. So some of these technologies allow you to traverse into France or go into Ireland or go into Wales or go into Wales and France. So in order to kind of get out of, your starting location, you need to upgrade your car and you need to be able to complete your routes, which could be within the same country or they could expand from one country to another country. So it was a real nice little tension about getting the routes you needed to build as well as upgrading your train so that you could build further on these routes. And it was good. We only got to play about, I don't know, like six or seven turns of it before we got um, dragged into another game. But I have to say, this is probably my favorite Ticket to ride, and I've played all of them, but Markland. So this was probably my favorite so far.
2: Yeah, I, the thing I liked about it is it makes like choosing your routes a little bit more, you have to think a lot more about it. When I, I chose my starting routes, I didn't think about it because I just wanted to get ticket to ride over with. That was my thinking at the time. I was stupid about that. But some of my routes needed like three technologies to unlock. So I kind of hosed myself right from the start. So it, it, I don't know, it adds just another level of thinking into it that makes it, I think, a lot better than just vanilla ticket to ride. It's definitely a more gamery ticket to ride.
1: So the moral of the story is don't sit down and be a douchebag.
2: I wasn't being a douchebag. <laughs> I was just—I am just not excited by Ticket to Ride. No, I anymore. agree.
1: I agree. But this one was—it was, was kind of reinvigorating. It was. Yeah. It was definitely kind of a step up, and maybe this is what Days of Wonder is going to start maybe doing as well. As something we saw with Five Tribes is kind of maybe appealing some of their properties to more advanced gamers.
2: I mean, I still think it's family friendly, but it's just a little bit more. Yeah. So if your family's been playing Ticket to Ride for ages, it would be easy. So Steve's
0: family will buy this instantly. Steve said, he said, yeah, I saw the new Ticket to Ride was there um, to demo. So I told my mom, and my mom said, okay, I'll go buy it. He's like, Mom, it's not out yet. It's not out (laughs) yet. You got to wait. So
1: for those who don't know, Steve's family loves Ticket to Ride, and his mom has bought every single Ticket to Ride thing you can think of. To Steve's dismay, his family loves Ticket to Ride.
2: He might like this one, though.
1: Another big one that I got to play was the new Little Prince game. This is designed by Antoine Bauza and Bruno Cathala. This is going to play off of, and you'll see it with the art, um, when you start to see pictures trickling in, it's going to play off the movie that's coming out this fall. I think it's called Little Prince, A Voyage to the Stars, or something along those lines. Uh, or for the French people, La Petit Prince, blah, 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 something, something, something. Uh, this game was good. I actually really like this one a lot. It's very family friendly. It's essentially a race game. Every player starts with a hand of cards, an identical hand of cards. And these cards have numbers from, I think it was one to five in kind of some assortment. I don't remember what it was. I think it was one, one, two, two, three, three, four, four, five or something along those lines. But everyone starts with the same hand. And what you're doing is you're going to play on, on your turn. You're going to play one of these cards. That's how many spaces you can move. And the spaces along the journey to the stars there, they have different uh, effects when you land on them. So certain ones give you new cards into your hand that give you like a six or a seven space move or a jump into front. And then other ones give you star points, which are what you're collecting as victory points. So or if you land on another player, you get to steal a card from their hand and then give them a card from your hand. So a little. Uh, It's not take that. It's just a random pull of a card from their hand. And if you don't like it, you can actually give them that same card right back, but just a little thing. So it it also uses the Takedo kind of movement system where last place goes first. So you got to manage that. But again, it's a race game. So first person to the end is going to get a bonus, but that doesn't necessarily mean you win because I was actually first to the end and I lost by quite a few points, actually, because other people had kind of Picked up more points along the way, almost in a, a Takedo-like way, but extremely family friendly, uh, beautifully produced, uh, the artwork is amazing, and, uh, I really like this game. I think it's gonna be a hit. And it's the price point for it, it's gonna be amazing. I think it's only gonna be like 30 bucks. So a little friendlier than Little Prince Make Me a Planet, because <laughs> that one can be a bit ruthless, but all in all, overall, great experience with it.
2: I didn't get to play as many games as you did, I think. I I just kept on walking up right after they started a game or while they were in the middle of it. One of the ones that's kind of crazy that I got demoed was called Doctor Panic. And if you... Looking at the components, it just immediately reminds you of operation. <laughs> there's like a guy's body and there's all these, there's tweezers and all kinds of things. And basically it's a, a mini, it's a whole bunch of little mini games that happen with timers and a, or no, there's a soundtrack, not a timer. So that was why we couldn't play it actually is cause it uses a soundtrack and you work together to save this patient before the soundtrack runs out when he was explaining all of the little mini games it seemed overwhelming kind of in the same way that space cadets is overwhelming but once you know all the little mini games it's fine this one is definitely lighter than space cadets but uh it was interesting and i that might be something that my kids could get into so that's dr panic does and I the think-
0: soundtrack end with a flat line <laughs>
2: Well, they didn't have the soundtrack, so I don't know exactly what it ends with, but there are, like, one of the mini-games is you have this board with holes in it, and you're trying to stitch through all the holes using tweezers and a piece of string. Like, they're all kinds of just goofy, and there are there were a lot of them, which is why I'm not remembering very well, but just goofy little games that you play. Uh, I think it could be fun, but crazy.
0: Time dexterity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: it looked pretty nuts. So I guess I'd be remiss to not mention that I got a chance to demo the new Abyss expansion. I specifically <laughs> did this to tell Matt about it. I approve. It is. It's It's interesting. It It adds a couple of new layers to the game. One of them being black pearls, as well as some new lords and the kraken. And it comes with this really cool little kraken miniature. I don't know if you guys saw me tweet it. And I'll have pictures of it, but it's really neat looking miniature but just to kind of touch a little bit on how gameplay changes uh same old abyss so you're searching you're buying lords for influence and then you're getting locations but there are these black pearls that come into play and these black pearls are kind of negative and the way you get these are in the the top row so when you're searching through the the ally deck um there are kraken cards kraken kraken i always say it both ways i don't know why but These cards, they act as a wild card, so they can be used as any kind of uh, ally that you want when you spend them to buy Lords. However, they come with a cost of X black pearls. And these black pearls are, again, negative at the end of the game, but they also attract the Kraken. So the person with the most black pearls has the Kraken in front of them. And I forget, I I really am kind of kicking myself now because I can't remember what the the Kraken does at the end of the game to you, but it's not good. Um, So it's kind of a little pass around uh, thing that's always kind of in fluid motion. Yeah, it's hot potato with the Kraken. But there's all kinds of ways that you can, some of the Lords allow you to spend these black pearls when you pay for allies. So sometimes when like your opponent is going through the ally deck, you can pay them for one, you know, with black pearls. So then you can kind of get rid of your black pearls and pass them off, things like that. Uh, There's also a new treasure uh, location treasure locations these treasure locations uh, come with a deck of treasure cards and there's another kind of like small pressure luck mechanic that allows you to gain victory points from this treasure location you're flipping over different number cards and you go until you match two of the same so it's again pressure luck how far can you go to see how many points you can collect and then there's there's a couple of lords that prevent spaces from being taken Spaces being uh, Lord spaces or the Congress area. So you, if you have this Lord, you could mark a spot on the Lord track and that Lord can only be bought by you. So you're kind of reserving him in a way for later on. So a couple of uh, a neat little additions. It flowed seamlessly into the base game, which is nice to see because some expansions you can feel that they're an expansion. This one, it, it really worked and I'm interested to try it out um, with the expansion again because as most of you know, Abyss is Matt's favorite game. It's it's a game I'm kind of lukewarm on. I think it's a good game, just not a great game. But this expansion really adds a new twist to it, so I want to try it out. But I'll yeah. have to wait until Essen. Yeah, it's it might be even later than that. They gave no kind of definitive answer on when it's coming out.
0: I was hoping it would be there, but it's
1: okay. I'll just cry. <laughs> no. So, in talking to our oh, no. store manager the other day, he had mentioned that it's not even on Asmodee's buy lists for the next couple months, so they may be holding this until early 2016. But keep you posted when they do. Oh, you'll know about it
0: if you listen.
2: Another one that I'm actually pretty excited for. I, again, just missed playing it by like a couple of minutes, but I watched Joe Pinchback play it, my new best friend. So that was good enough. It's called City Mania, and it's from Days of Wonder. It's coming out, I think, around Nuremberg, so early next year. But it's a city building game where it's kind of tile placement, set collection are the two main mechanics. There's a common grid. It's five by five. And each player has their own grid that they're building. That's their city. So, and that one's smaller. It's four by four. You have these four architect tokens numbered one through four, and then you place that on the grid somewhere and you can take a tile from the common board based on that number. So if it's the four, you can take one that's four away. Um, if it's one, you can only take one that's one away. So you have to kind of plan um, how you're going to use those. When you take a tile, there's a token that blocks that row and column after you take a tile from that. So it's just kind of interesting. You're, you're building up your little city, and then at the end, you play four rounds kind of doing that. And at the end, it scores based on the different kinds of buildings and things. So there are shops and they score depending on how many customers you have. There are resources that you get when you collect the tiles. Um, there are harbors that score based on the longest row or column in the city. So there are just different kinds of things that you're putting in the city and they score in different ways. And you're trying to collect sets of them as best you can by the end of four rounds. And it looks beautiful. I mean, they weren't final components, but you look at it and you're kind of like, oh, it's kind of like iPhone-ish. It has that really clean graphic design to it, and I I love city building, I love tile placement, I love set collection, so this one's almost an insta-buy for me when it comes out. That City Mania.
0: Thanks, Tiff.
2: <laughs> You're welcome, Dan.
0: Thank you, Tiff, for that <laughs> exposure to a new game coming from Asmodee in the future. I know, right? Were there um, any other... Hot titles, you know, you don't have to go too in-depth on anything else that you saw that was worth mentioning or that looked cool before we move along. Yep.
2: Probably Mafia de Cuba. You don't want to talk about that?
1: I was going to talk about that as well as the other six games that they had there that were amazing. But I wasn't going to talk about them because I didn't get to play them. I was going to mention them. All but, right, um, let's do it. Mafia de Cuba. So this is a new social deduction game uh, from Asmodee. This was one that Tiff and I both kind of got roped into. <laughs>
2: they made everyone <laughs> they play it. They basically made
1: everyone play it.
2: With mojitos, though. Yes, so. with
1: mojitos. So it made the experience a little bit better. But this is a um, an interesting game. I was lucky enough to play this game with Rodney Smith from Watch It Played, as well as the Shut Up and Sit Down guys. I got to play with Quinns and Matt Lees, as well as Senfu Lim from the Maple Syrup podcast and a couple of other people. Did you say Maple Syrup or Maple, maple syrup? syrup? Maple Syrup, Maple Syrup, I don't know. Mm, Canadians delicious. love both. <laughs> Either way, it's, it's an interesting social game. So one person is the godfather, and the rest of the people are kind of his mafiosa henchmen. And what happens is, in this little cigar box that you get, the game comes in this cigar box. You lift it up, and there's a number of diamond gems, and then there's some roll chips in there and what's going to happen is the godfather is trying to leave his cigar box with his henchmen who he trusts but obviously the henchmen are trying to steal from the godfather in some way and not get caught so there's these different roles so you've got like the honest henchman who's like the right hand man and he wants the godfather to succeed so he's going to be truthful when kind of doing the deduction and then there's like the cia and another undercover policeman fbi FBI, and they want to be accused of stealing it because then they can reveal themselves and arrest him etc um so and then there's the driver who wins if the person to his right wins so there's all these little small factors so what happens is the godfather depending on the number of players there's x diamonds in the box and x rolls and these are all determined again by player count and he he or she gets to choose to take some of those um, diamonds and or rolls out of the box so he has full information about what's in the box when it gets passed so once the godfather's done that he passes it to the player to his left that person then can betray the godfather and steal some diamonds or he could be faithful and maybe take a role uh, a henchman role or he could be unfaithful and take the the police role if it's in there or he could do nothing um, and just kind of act as, again, just a, a faithful henchman. And then it passes to the left. So what happens is you're going to pass this box all the way around until it gets to the godfather. At what point the godfather is going to open it up and see what's left. And then there's this kind of whole little think spy falling away or any other kind of social deduction game, like the resistance. There's this debate, um, and everyone's kind of pleading their case to the godfather Be like, oh, when I saw the box, there was nine diamonds in it. And the godfather knows in the back of his head, well, I had 12 in there. So between him and there, the three were taken. Was it him? Was it not? So, or is he just completely lying? It's this whole kind of crazy little um, kind of debrief. And then at the end, the godfather is going to pick whether he thinks somebody is, you know, a certain role or stolen his diamonds and whatever happens happens if he guesses wrong then the players win based on the role etc but crazy little social deduction game a lot of it's kind of it reminded me of Spyfall, and there's just a lot of interaction packed into such a small little package and a few components and uh i actually kind of enjoyed it i thought it was pretty accessible and i didn't think it was horribly social but i'll let tiff plead her case on this one
2: well, I I liked it, actually. I, I was at a table of people who were maybe, like, part, half of them were really into social games, and there were a couple people who were really not, myself included, uh, and also Dale Yu from the Opinionated Gamers, he was really not feeling <laughs> the social game, and uh, it it still works, though, because I think there's enough structure, even if you're not into that whole like if you if you can't lie like me, there are ways for you to still play the game and still participate in the game and not feel completely uncomfortable, even if you're playing with a table full of mostly people you don't know. So um, I give it actually a thumbs up. And I think that when it comes out, I'll probably buy it.
0: Yeah,
1: we were they were fortunate enough to give us a, a review copy of it. So Matt, I'll get you guys to play it at some point. And we'll probably do a review of it. Awesome.
0: That just made my day.
1: So that's that. And I'll just, if you don't mind, I'll just touch on a couple quick games that I didn't get a chance to play, but were there. And we saw them uh, before we get into games that people can actually buy in the near future. Um, So obviously, one of the big kind of talked about games coming out is Time Stories from Space Cowboys. This is the game with the box that looks like Apple designed it. It's just all Pure There's white that going
2: around. with
1: like this little robot silhouette on the side. Um, this is a game about, it's kind of a loose story game where you're using this deck of cards to develop the story and go in certain directions and looks really cool. I got to like kind of hang out and watch a game for a little bit. I took a lot of pictures. Again, this is Space Cowboys, So the production quality was amazing um, as they've come to be known for. Really cool game. Um, hope to have a little more information on that when it comes out. It's definitely one I'll be looking to probably pick up another one a big one and this was one i i don't know i may have drooled in his hair because i was trying to get so close but bowser was there in the flesh i took many candid pictures of him he probably doesn't know it but I have them. Wow. I'm kidding. I was taking candid you drooled pictures. You on him. No. <laughs> I tried so <laughs> hard to get into a game of Seven Wonders Duel, but with it only being a two-player game and with there being like 40 people there, it was just kind of hard with the kind of the rotation to squeeze into one. But I did watch a little bit of a game. I missed kind of the rules explanation, but it looks like Seven Wonders condensed into tiny little cards and you're building this pyramid in the middle. It almost looks like, you're working with each other, but against each other. Um, again, I didn't get a chance to look at it, but it looks it looks like Seven Wonders, and it's from Bowser, and that's an instant buy for me. Another one that looked really cool was called Raptor. This is a game from Bruno Cathala. This is a two-player asymmetric game. One player takes the role of a team of scientists, and the other takes the role of some baby raptors. And the scientists are trying to neutralize and capture the raptors before they run wild in the forest. Card driven game. So it's got a lot of tactical play with some, you know, bluffing slash double guessing. And you're kind of using these cards to move your pawns. If you're the scientists or you're moving the mother and baby raptors, if you're the raptor side of things. Really cool. It had neat little dinosaur meeples. Again, got some good pictures of this. Uh, It's Bruno Cathala. So, you know, it'll be solid. If not, great. Sounds
0: amazing.
1: Yeah. This was one, again, I didn't get a chance to play, but I kind of took my camera and hovered over it for a little bit. Um, looks really cool. And this is a this is from Matigo. So, again, Ooh. production quality is amazing. The artist was Vincent Dutre. So, Tiff will be happy.
2: Oh, InstaBuy on that one yeah. for
1: me. All around really, really neat looking game. So, stay tuned for that. And then we saw the Kemet expansion, which was
2: holy moly my
1: gosh you thought kemet took a lot of space to begin with with this expansion. i saw a picture of that man
2: i took a picture of it and i'm like i don't know how to make i don't know what to make of all of this i listened to the guy explain all of the cards and all of the things and i i it was just so much to soak in now
0: there's only three additional like fancy minis right but there's all this extra stuff no there I are do.
2: modules that you can add in uh, sorry dan what were you saying
1: no, I said I have no idea. I couldn't discern what was going on on the table. It was yeah. just a lot. People are excited, though.
2: It definitely adds a lot. And if you're a fan of Kemet, you're probably going to like it.
1: That's that's all I had for Asmodee, unless Tiff wanted to add anything. But again, amazing event. well covers it. So glad we got to go. Thanks to uh, our friend Carol for squeezing us in. And uh, yeah, so a lot of exciting things coming
0: from them. So now we can talk about games we actually bought. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll go ahead and jump into the things that you could see on the floor and hold in your hands and take home with you. So come back for that. All right, everyone, we are back. And now it's time to talk about Dan and Tiff and their time on the floor of Gen Con. So the first thing that we're going to touch on, we're going to touch on the hot games of Gen Con. We're going to talk about some demos, we're going to talk about some of the things that you could buy, and then maybe some of the games that may or may not have fallen between the cracks. Um, So everyone, depending on where you are at Gen Con, has a different perception on kind of like what's hot. I'm sure there's some Magic players who have no idea whether or not Mysterium was popular. So from the perspective of you two, where you guys hung out and what you guys went and saw, what were the big names that were being tossed around? What were the games that everyone was buying? And, and I saw literal video of people rushing and pushing each other out of the way to buy.
1: So one of the big games um, was the new Vlad Code Codenames. This is a small $20 party game from Czech Games. This was actually one that you could pre-order, which was awesome. I'm so happy to see more publishers doing this. You just put your name on a list and they reserved a copy for you. You didn't even have to pay for it in advance. You just went to the booth and paid for it. Um, the thing was, this thing caught like wildfire and then once people kind of realized how fun it was they went back and all the copies were either reserved or gone so this one really took the con by storm the way it works is like i said it's a party game so you've got two teams the red team and the blue team acting as i guess leaders of this spy agency and you're trying to find your spies on the board before the other team finds theirs. So the board is comprised of, I think it was, I think it's five by five. So each of these cards is a word and these words thematically represent the code name of the agent, What you'll do is you'll select kind of a leader of your team. Each team will, and those people have access to this decoder card. And on this decoder card, it shows the colors of your team, red and blue, and which words on the grid or which spaces on the grid are associated with your team? And what you're trying to do is you're trying to, as that code leader, is you're trying to get your team to guess the location on the, on the grid of your, your members of your team, the words you're looking for. I'm trying to use theme, but the theme is loose. You're trying to get them to guess the words that match your color on their decoder card. And the way you do this is kind of innovative. You can say one word and a number. So I could say baseball two, for instance. And what that kind of gives my team is there's two words on the board that relate to in some way baseball, I think, you know, from my. So it's, it's, it's really tough being the, the spy leader because you're trying to navigate the minefield that is the board, which has both your color as well as your opponent's color. And then there's also this black word that is the assassin. And if anyone guesses the assassin, that team automatically loses. So coming up with words that steer your team in the direction of your colored words and away from the, your opponent's words is really tough because the words, they're just generic kind of everyday words. But it's kind of, again, kind of going through it's in a Mysterium-like way, which we'll talk about in a minute um, as a segue trying to get them to interpret what you're saying and you have to be on the same page. It's, it's a really good game, extremely accessible because it's not, it's not as tense and kind of the spotlight isn't on you. Kind of like a spy fall for instance, which was origins hot kind of party game. This one, it has more of a game to it. And like I mentioned, I think it's just one that is team based and just allows you just sit down and have a good time and playing on both sides of the table Um, really kind of lends for extreme replayability on this one.
2: Yeah. I think... I think this one is easier because it's not a social game. So when you compare it to Spyfall, I mean, it's, you're talking to people during it, but you're part of a team. So it's, you're really not on the spot. So it's better for people like me for sure. It, it is fun. I liked it a lot. I, I'll probably pick it up when it becomes available. And it's kind of the perfect con game. I think that's why it became so hot. It's just that there were people sitting down and played this for like, Hours at a time because you can just keep going on it. It's interesting to see the connections that people make with the words, or, you know, if you're the, what do they call it? The guy that is trying to get you to guess the cards. I missed out on the nomenclature. Oh, I don't know. The
1: code master or the yeah. head secret okay. agent. I don't know.
2: If you're that guy uh, trying to, like, Think about the people that you're playing with and w- the things that they know and are going to associate those words with and and try to plan that out. I think it would be incredibly difficult. Also, there are just a lot of words in front of you, and it can be easy to miss some of them, which happened in a game that I was playing with Dan Patrice. He said violin, and the word string was out there, and he didn't see it, <laughs> So it turned out to be the other team's card, and, and there were other ones related to violin that we got, but it that happened a couple of times, and it did remind me a lot of Mysterium, where you, if you're playing as the ghost, you're looking at one thing, but then you hand over the cards, and everybody starts talking about this little minute detail on the card that you didn't think of, and you start to kind of like panic. It's kind of the same feeling as Mysterium in that way. Because you just don't know where everybody's mind is going to go when you say things.
0: Well, so speaking of that, Tiff, the other game that is potentially the rival for hottest game of Gen Con is Mysterium, the new version from Asmodee. So you got a chance to play it. What are your opinions in comparison to Codenames and to the original?
2: Um, well, (laughs) I mean, Mysterium, the new one I think is a really nice upgrade from, I have the Ukrainian copy, uh, but it comes with a big, uh, Player screen for the ghost where they can hold all of the cards I'm not going to go into the gameplay of Mysterium because we've talked about it before but they hold all of the cards for each player behind their screen so they don't have to keep flipping up the piles to check them and I think that really does cut, cut down on how long it takes to play and it's worth it for just that by itself. I mean, it just, it's a game changer in a lot of ways. They also add a little bit more of a gamey element to it where you have these tokens that you can um, kind of wager, (laughs) not wager, but you're, you're guessing, you're, you're trying to say whether or not the person who's guessing this is their card is right or wrong. And that moves you up a track. I forget what it's called because I didn't. Think about it when I was playing it. But it's just this little track that helps at the end. It gives you the, a, a better chance at guessing the, the real crime thing. So we kind of messed up some of those rules so I can't exactly speak to it but it does there, there's just more of a structure feel to it when when I played the Ukrainian copy which I enjoyed and it was really fun it just kind of feels more free form whereas this is more like you have tokens and you have an envelope to put your guesses in and things like that so it's just a little bit more structured version of Mysterium and the artwork is just off the charts good. The production quality is exactly what you expect from Asmodee. Um, so it's just, it's well worth it. I think, I'm thinking of buying it even though I already have the Ukrainian one.
0: Well so a, a two part comment on that. So the first question, and the big question is did they upgrade, did they change the art on the Dream cards? <laughs>
2: That is a good question, because even while I was playing it, I I don't think that's true. I don't think they changed.
0: OK, because that was a big thing about whether or not to buy a second copy was, is it basically like an expansion of Dream Cards? Now you're saying, and Dan, you can speak to this, too, because you own it as well. Is it you think that it is worth having a second copy?
1: I would buy it just for the screen. I wish they would sell that screen separately, being that the ghost is my favorite role to play in that game i don't really like guessing i just like playing the ghost having that screen is amazing yeah but Asmodee really kind of dropped the ball i mean this is probably intentional to generate buzz but they only had 100 copies every day and this was one of those games that people were literally pushing and shoving to get to every morning so yeah.
0: it was kind of crazy i mean that's not that's not a big surprise that's kind of how the last couple of years have gone with those hot games 50 to 100 copies a day yeah, the
1: one thing i was kind of sad about that Asmodee went the way of fantasy flight and that they kind of closed off their booth and created a line around it yeah that was just I've always liked their booth because it's always wide out in the open and just you can walk in and out of it and it
0: was just really annoying to just be told when you can enter and exit the booth I just imagine the pandemonium if you weren't in line though apparently FFG's booth according to a video that I watched got shut down by the fire marshal they weren't even allowed to add people to their line it was so long it's crazy.
2: I believe that.
0: Yeah. Anywho, so a couple other games that I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out there and we can comment on. So big names. I know Cool Mini's big game was Blood Rage. I know that we talked with Brandon Parsons from Blue Orange about New York nineteen oh one and that did well. And then Portal had Rattle Battle, but it sounds like Tides of Time ended up being the big one. So what about those three games?
2: Well, um I'll, I can. Thanks, Dan. You're such a gentleman. For the portal games thing, Tides of Time is twelve bucks. So. Even if you don't like it, it's pretty, it's in a small box, and it's 12 bucks. So I think a lot of people picked it up just for that. I think it's a really clever uh, way of doing two-player drafting. If you like drafting, it's good. I don't know if the replayability will last forever, but if you get five, six plays out of it, it's probably worth 12 Uh So I think that's why Tides of Time was such a, a big deal, and everybody was just picking it up because of the price point and, you know. It's it's great for what you're going to get out of it. Rattle Battle, I kept hearing rumblings that this one wasn't as good, that it was too long for what it is, that it didn't really know the kinds of gamers, it's like a family game, right? But it's too complicated for that family setting. Like there's a lot of like, you can't touch this and okay, let's figure this out. I didn't even look at it because so many people were saying like, oh, it takes too long. It doesn't even, you know, and I had had I heard enough uh, negative buzz on it that I didn't try a demo of it.
1: They had a lot of copies left over, which I was oh my God. surprised I by. But I think we had talked before. I think I think Vassal reviewed it like the week before Gen Con, and I think he called it, quote, forgettable. So I think that may have had a little bit of an impact because they had stacks and stacks of this game, and I thought that would be pretty hot.
2: Yeah, they had a truck come in like in the middle of the con, like a whole, like filling the booth even more than what they started with. So they clearly anticipated it to be huge.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about Blue Orange's foray into. Big box games, you know, Ticket to Ride Style games. How did New York do? It sold out every day. I think they only had 50
1: copies each day. So I know Thursday when I grabbed uh, my copy, there was two left. And that was before the hall even opened. Um, So all those crazy advanced entry people, which there was a ton of this year. like
2: It was shocking. (laughs)
1: It seemed like. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Brandon said that one was gone instantly each morning. So. But they had demos of it and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah. And then Blood Rage is from Cool Mini. Not We're always a little hit or miss on Cool Mini games, although I think all three of us own some of them. This game, I hear, is pretty good. This is an Eric Lang design. It's It's got great minis, of course, but you know, how's the gameplay? Is it is it worth being a buzz of, of Gen Con?
2: Didn't look at it.
1: No? I almost backed it. I like Vikings, and this is set in a Viking setting. But I think... It's not my style of game. I think it's too, I guess, quote, thematic for me. (laughs) I'll, I'll play it PC here, but thematic. People were rushing the booth for that um, the first couple of days. I saw a ton of people playing it. For me, I went to their booth, but I grabbed another game that comes in a much smaller box. So I wasn't. I was. I was surprised they had it there.
0: To be honest, I'm not sure if this was. Yeah, I think a lot of people were because the the backer copies aren't out yet. So people were excited to get their hands on it. So that seems fair. Does that, I mean, does that fit the bill in terms of the hot games that you guys were hearing? We're going to talk of, obviously about some more games, but that seems to be what the buzz was about. Well, obviously all the fantasy flight stuff, uh,
1: game of Thrones, second edition, the LCG, there was a couple of other things we'll talk about it in the demos, but there wasn't a lot to yeah. buy. It, it was, yeah. it was kind of disappointing from a, a yeah. person who has an issue when it comes to spending money. Um, <laughs> But at the end of the it day, I'm actually quite thing. happy because, yeah, the games I
0: bought were good. And
2: Can we just point out that I bought way less games than you? I would just like the world to know that.
0: Um, hey, world, Tiff bought less games than Dan. Yeah. At the con where there was nothing to buy. Mm, sure. Yeah. It was close, no. though. Because some of
1: mine aren't mine. Some of them for Matt. So
2: That's true. Two
1: of them. Okay. I didn't buy that many, though. Like maybe I just know
2: that I shipped three boxes of games to you this week, and I could easily fit my games in one. Less wow. than one. Bam! So Dan just
0: bought big games. I bought bigger yeah, games. yeah,
2: that's true. I'm, a lot of the ones I bought were little ones. I
0: told you we don't need three more copies of Twilight Imperium, but
2: he really wants <laughs> the just extra can't minis. stop that guy.
0: <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and transition into some of the hot demos. Now, This there wasn't a lot to buy. There was plenty to demo and to play. So what did you get to do i i I don't even know what you guys played so so let me know i didn't
1: demo a lot on the floor to be honest with you most of my demos came at these press (laughs) events mainly asmo day um, where i got to sit down in a quiet environment and listen to the rules and enjoy the game Um, for me demoing on the vendor hall floor is just so chaotic and you gotta like push and shove sometimes to get into a seat and I don't know. I just kind of stalked around, listened to rules, explanations, watched some gameplay, but I never really sat down for anything. Um, and that's probably why I got a chance to play the games I bought more than I normally do. But I think some of the hot ones that were there were um, Scythe, which is the new Stonemeyer game. What is it? I don't even know. The post. But wasn't
2: he off site? He wasn't in the vendor hall. Was he?
1: He had, I think they had a location in one of the hotels yeah. But a lot of people had advanced kind of prototypes that they had made themselves or he had made and was spreading around. So there was a lot of people I just saw sitting around demoing it. I didn't get a chance to play it again or even really sit back and watch it. But I saw it and it looked really nice, which I think is going to be the huge selling point for this game. A lot of minis, a lot of amazing artwork from that Polish artist that I can't remember his name, where it's got like mechs in farm fields and stuff. So. That one was getting some talk. Um, Another big one was the Portal game and the Ghostbusters game at Cryptozoic. They had those both on display with miniatures and Everything. Again, didn't get to play them. Ghostbusters, I wouldn't have probably sat down and played anyways. That's only a game I think I would buy for the miniatures because gameplay just did, doesn't look that interesting from the Kickstarter, I remember. Portal, I'm very curious about. Again, I didn't get to sit down and play it, but our friends over at Isolate the Dragon had a really good write-up on Portal. They sat down and played a full game of it. And from what I recall from their write-up, they said it is okay. So that's a bit disheartening. But it looked yeah. really cool because it had little cake miniatures and this like 3D optical illusion board. So um and then also at Cryptozoic they had the new Attack on Titan game, which is from Antoine Bauza and Ludovic Montblanc. And that one oh. looked really Fancy. cool. It had a giant Titan and then it like the Titan had these little like platforms like attached to them, and that's where you're like you're moving your meeples up the Titan, I guess, to attack it. And each player has like the special powers and their own little kind of tableau and it, it looked interesting.
2: That's one I wish I had gotten to demo. I took a lot of pictures of it. Yeah, but
1: same here. But again, it's just so it hard amazing. to get into these games on the floor. It
2: stresses me out. Well, there's sixty-two
1: thousand people there this year. It's just yeah, getting harder and harder. It felt
2: busy the whole time too. Like there were, I feel like in the past at least there were times where I was walking around and I felt like, oh, there's like a little bit of a lull right now. And there's a, even on Sunday, it still felt pretty busy, and we stayed almost till closing. I didn't get in as many demos as I should have.
0: Do you see any other ones that you were interested in, Tiff?
2: Um, I well, are, we're gonna talk about games like the games yeah. that we bought soon. Yeah. So there are some things that caught my eye that I wasn't expecting that I bought, but there's nothing okay. that I was like, "Oh, there's a demo for that. I can't wait." I'm, yeah. I'm already, I'm done okay. with that. So yeah, so
0: not a lot to buy. Any hard to get into the demos? Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about some of the games. I, I'm In our show notes, I have this as the spaces in between. I'm wondering about some of these games that we chatted about when we were excited for Gen Con that I didn't then hear buzz about. So I'm going to go down this list and we can chat about the games if you played it, if you saw people playing it, if anyone is even talking about this game. So let's start with one that I know people were playing, The Grizzled. That became
1: my number one purchase. I ran to Cool Mini or Not and grabbed that. I think they only had like 100 copies of it. Uh, This is a game that's a French game. And it's a cooperative game for two to five players. And you're all in the trenches in the war. And you're trying to survive and raise your morale and just kind of fight through the game. i read the rules. I didn't get a chance to play it. Not a lot of people in our kind of friend circle I don't think are really into co-ops. So I didn't really propose it. But I'm not complaining because... We got a ton of other ones. Tiff, I know you like co ops, but we. What's uh, up
2: with that? We had but other games important.
1: to play. No, we had other games yeah. to play, though.
2: Yeah, it's all right.
1: Um, but the artwork is amazing. The artwork is done by one of the artists who unfortunately passed away in the uh, Charlie Headbow attacks. So it has a, a really kind of gritty. Um, french cartoonist feel to it it's, it's beautiful uh, i really love it and then there's got kind of neat little components um punch board word bubbles which kind of play into the game and the thematics of the game so i can't wait to play this one and it was getting a lot of play i know like rodney from watch it played had posted on twitter that it was probably his favorite game um, and a couple of other people really seemed to enjoy that one
2: Everyone I know that bought it then got to play it at Gen Con had high praise for it. So I kind of want to check it out now. I love co-ops.
0: As much as those other games were kind of the buzz of Gen Con, it seemed like the Grizzled was like the reviewer buzz game. Like all the people that I follow that who produce content were like, yeah, Mysterium's great, but the Grizzled is, is where it's at. Next game on the list, one that I know did well, but I wanted to know about its Gen Con presence, Ashes Rise of the Phoenix Phoenixborn. Uh, you guys aren't big plaid hat people, but did you see people running around with it? Was there a mad dash for the 700 copies they had? Yep. They sold them all out by Saturday morning, I think. Another game with great art. I got my copy in the mail and just I didn't even have to get dressed to play it. Yeah, it fantastic. I didn't
1: see uh, again where I was hanging out. I didn't see too many people playing it because we were hanging out in kind of like the unpubby area with a lot of prototypes and just playing some of our games. But, um, I know they were running tournaments and handing out play mats and a lot of people were talking about, I think it's one of those games. A lot of people played when they got home just from like what I see on social media and stuff, because it is only a two player game. It plays up to four, but I I think it shines from what I've heard with two. It's a really good looking game, unique little dice
0: resource system. So I'm sure it'll do well. All right. Moving on to a reprint that you picked up, Dan. Nefarious. What's up with this game? Um, it's oh, a, my God. It's a game.
2: Another case where the game is just too fun for Dan to enjoy.
0: No. No. Oh, all right, Tiff, did you you play this one too?
2: I own the original one of this. Okay, s- no,
0: so. Tiff bailed because she got. I just didn't want to play do. a
2: game that I already knew, and there were other people sitting around not playing a game, so I figured I'd sacrifice my seat and go play something that I wanted to learn.
0: So Dan, you're not too pleased with
1: Nefarious. I want to play it again. It was not all that interesting. It's a hugely kind of like. Random cluster F of a game, and it's it has its you're fun. You're not moments. sure, but
2: you're sure it's a cluster F.
1: It was when we played it. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be that. That's what I'm saying. Like the atmosphere in which we were playing it in this like pitch black hall um <laughs> for the Nerd <laughs> yeah, Nighters. We played it at thing, the Nerd Nighters, which you couldn't see anything because I don't know they didn't pay the electric bill in that <laughs> in that hall. But it was so hard to like read. And my biggest gripe is with the component quality. It's extremely subpar the card stock is like almost to the point of like loose leaf paper <laughs> you have to sleeve this game I think um, a lot of my cards were cut off center um, the artwork is really cool and that's what kind of drew me into it because I really love the little cutesy mad scientist cartoony look to it it's yeah I want to try it again I'm not going to pass complete judgment on it but my first impression was it's not a game for me
0: Well, one that was on the top of a lot of people's lists that I heard that then I heard zero about at Gen Con was the Village Crone worker placement game where you get to be a witch and cast spells on people and stuff like that. Any buzz about this game? Was anybody playing it? Did anybody buy it?
2: There were people carrying it around. I mean, I definitely saw people buy it, but I think, you know... We talked about this right before we left, and and Dan had pointed our attention to it, and I was really excited about it. And then they put out the artwork, and it was so green. (laughs) And it had standees, and I think that's... Move
1: squares. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I just think those components kind of deterred me away a little bit. It's it, it went from a game that I really wanted to check out to one that I could probably wait for.
1: It was number one going into the second to last day before Gen Con. And then I saw the pictures <laughs> and I read the rules. And it's definitely one I'm going to wait. It's on my try before I buy list. On the table, its presence is all, like Tiff mentioned, it's not that pretty. It's a lot of like forest scenery and then these like small little towns on this board and then cardboard standees and i don't know it was like i said it was one that i had high hopes for and they only had a 100 copies and i i was debating whether to run there first but actually on sunday they still had copies left so i don't think it caught fire like they were hoping we do know some people who picked it up so i'll wait
0: to hear how are the the takanoko chibis the baby babies
2: well i unboxed mine we didn't get to play it (laughs) because I threw out my back carrying dance boxes to the post office. What? <laughs> I know. It's like the geekiest thing I've ever had to say about myself, is I need to start exercising more, is pretty much the moral of the story. Ma'am,
0: how did the, uh, the injury occur? Well, I was carrying giant boxes of board games, yeah, you see. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: what happened. And so we had game night that night, and I was just in such pain. Everybody left kind of early, because I, I was like, I couldn't, it hurt to breathe and laugh. Wow! So I'm better now, but way
0: to go, Dan.
2: It's all Dan's fault. Why is
1: it my fault? She TV. doesn't know how to lift with her legs. Bend at the knees. <laughs>
2: I I thought I did. Bend at I the thought knees. I did. Oh, I did girl. something really wrong. It it was either that or later that day I had to pick up my dog because he was being a jerk. So he was out in the yard barking at the neighbor lady, and I picked him up and I felt it then. So I don't know, but <laughs> we didn't get to play it. Is the moral of the story? You don't need to know about my woes i read the rule book and i opened it it looks the way you would expect it to look i was it the little box of the takenoko chibis expansion i was kind of hoping would maybe be able to tuck in underneath the insert oh but not at all not even close so it's gonna have to stay outside of the box and because the takenoko uh insert is so custom molded and awesome it's just kind of like a weird i don't know what to do with it on my shelf thing so that's bothering my
0: OCD. yeah, organizational. yeah, it's, yeah. it's
2: kind of a problem but um the little girl panda looks awesome and the rules are really simple Tiff. basically Tiff. what what
1: woman panda
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Woman panda. <laughs> she, she is allowed to, there's a couple things that she can do, but basically when she gets on to the same thing with the boy panda, the same tile with the boy panda, you can take one of these chibi tiles that, that give you things.
1: Sneaking behind the Bamboo doing the nasty <laughs> doing the panda nasty bow, chicka, bow, bow. There's more
2: to it but it's really it's going to be for anyone who likes Takinoko I think it's an easy thing to just stick into your Takinoko game it's going to add just a little tiny bit more interest and you have a woman panda so that's exciting for everyone
1: Hey Tiff what's it sound like when a brown cow meet, mates with a brown chicken
2: I don't know
0: Brown
1: chicken brown cow Oh
2: my god <laughs>
0: You walked right into that one, Tiff. Jeez. Wow. Oh, my. All right. So. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's so good. It's I so think good. I think it's
2: funnier than anyone else, and that's what makes it. That's so, what makes that joke. So,
0: let's round this out by talking about our good friend Stephen Bonacore and his booth over at Stronghold. How did the Stronghold games do? He had Survive Space Attack. He had the official big release of dark moon like Ranjo's there Uh, how was he doing was everyone buying stronghold didn't stop by we had uh code 777 as well i didn't go to
1: his booth to be honest with you because i have all the games that he had there except for survive space attack and that's not for me.
0: It seemed like things were going well. I don't know how well Survive did, but everyone else was... The Dark Moons and the Lagrangias were big. was being played. We saw Lagrangia being played a
1: lot.
2: I saw people walking around with Survive Space Attack. I am curious about that one because I like Survive and I like Aliens but not enough to pay full price for it at a con and have to carry it around.
0: Well, those are some of the hotnesses and the not so hotnesses uh the
2: notnesses
0: then oh the notnesses i like that let's go ahead let's round out the show by talking about our hits and misses so gen con favorites what you bought what you played what you loved we're going to do games and then we're going to chat about some of the events or experiences we heard a little bit about them but let's round it out tiff your favorite games of gen con
2: Well, my absolute favorite one was Isle of Sky, but since Dan seems to only have that on his list, I'll let him talk about it.
0: (laughs) Okay. What else you got?
2: One game I picked up that is not even a new game, but they have, I just, I discovered it at Gen Con is Lift It. It's a dexterity game where you have these little, um, like girder looking things with a string and a hook attached to them and you build different shapes with different pieces there's a timer involved there are times where you have to attach your hook and stuff to your head and build that way uh it's one to eight players it's a silly crazy game that i think will be perfect for uh, board game club it's goofy i played it once it was in low light at that nerd nighters thing and uh (laughs) (laughs) it was pretty fun there were pieces going everywhere the score tracker is kind of annoying because you can knock your pieces into your pawns that are keeping score and that kind of messes things up for you but you're really not playing that game to keep score anyway so uh lift it was at usaopoly and i think when when we went over to demo it right after about like everyone in our group went over and bought it. So it was like me, and Matt cool. Wolf, Copax, and all those guys. We just went over and bought it. Cause it's just silly. That sounds
0: about right. Dan, Tiff kicked it over to you to talk about Isle of Sky, So that's what you have to at least start. So with. good.
1: Yes. Isle of Sky, new lookout game. Well, Mayfair, but originally a lookout. Um, this is a tiling game. The way it scores is there's four random uh, scoring events. You play over five rounds and each of these five rounds, Um, two or three of the scoring events will be triggered at the end of the round. So, um, you're not always scoring like number one, but you could be scoring or A, sorry, but you could be scoring A and B this round. Next round, you might score BC. So it's a, it's a really cool little scoring mechanism as well. But each player is going to draw three tiles out of a bag and they're going to place them in front of them behind your screen you're gonna do two things. The first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna discard one of those tiles. And the way you do that is you secretly place your axe token in line with the tile that you're gonna discard when everything is revealed. So the tiles, the three tiles are open information, but which one you're gonna discard behind your screen is not. Then the second thing you're gonna do is you're gonna set the price for the other two tiles. So using the coins that you have available to you, you must place at least one coin in line with the other two tiles that are not discarded. It's minimum one, maximum whatever you want. Afterwards, after everyone's done doing that, you're gonna reveal. When you reveal your screens, everyone's discarded tiles are put back in the bag, and then the other two tiles remaining for everyone are what are now open for sale. And the cost to buy it, so starting with the first player, I can buy anyone else's tiles Th- that are not my own for the price that they set at. So if Tiff set the price of her one tile, her water tile at two, I would give her two coins. She would take the two coins that she had set the price for back and she will get my two coins and I get her tile, which goes behind my screen for placement later. This continues around until everyone's bought one tile. Afterwards, if you have any tiles left in front of you, you are on the hook for that tile and the price that you set for it. So that money that you set for it goes away and you get those tiles. So there's this really amazing little subtlety in how you set the prices because you want to set them enticing enough that maybe someone else will buy it, but you also don't want to set it too high so that people don't buy it and you're on the hook for it yourself or you may do that just to get that tile. So there's all kinds of little nuances you can do with the price setting, which is what drives this game so high on my my praise list here. After everyone's bought their one tile, they take their tiles, like I mentioned, that they're on the hook for, and then you, you create your little kingdom each round at the end of each round. So using normal kind of tile placement rules where landscapes must match each other, et cetera, you put that together and then the scoring happens. So like I mentioned, there's the four randomly selected scoring events that take place at any point in the game. They will all happen three times each, but it's just how they're distributed over the rounds that differs. So that's it. At the end of the game, whoever has the most points wins. It's really cool. Price point at 35 bucks. beautiful artwork, amazing components. Um, I can't say enough good things about this game.
2: I mean, Dan said it all. It's it's. Probably the game I've played the most this last week or so. I've played it three times or four times now. My group loved it when we played it the other night. So I think it's... To me, it felt the same way I felt about Cacao at Origins. Kind of that game that you could always just pick up and play... Don't look at me like that, Dan. Let me explain. <laughs> just that it's not that complicated. It's definitely, there's more to it than c- Cacao, And there's certainly a bajillion times more replayability to it. But it was just kind of that not so heavy, but kind of Euro-y feeling game that you could pick up and play really easily. I'm not comparing it to Cacao in any other way than that.
1: I agree with that. Easy to set up, easy to play. Way better
0: than Cacao.
2: Agreed. I agree with you, Dan.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, you two have a staring contest. Um, I was here at Gen Con and actually got my hands on a couple of games that were available at Gen Con. So one of them, as we talked about earlier, was Ashes: Rise of the Phoenixborn. I think I've played it about eight times so far. Played with a couple of different people. Really enjoying it. It's got the beautiful artwork, which is what everyone's kind of talking about. And that's probably what drove a lot of sales. But the gameplay is innovative and interesting. If you like two-player card games, which if you've listened to like 30 seconds of the show, you know that I like two-player card games. So it really hits the spot. Lots to explore. Still want to try drafting. Still want to try constructive. We've just been playing with the base deck. So one that I was very happy to have show up on my doorstep because I could distract myself from all the Gen Con stuff by playing Ashes. So had some fun with that. Now, Tiff, go ahead and give us a different game that isn't Cacao. I mean, <laughs> but I sorry.
2: love Cacao. Um, well, I already talked about Mysterium. That was kind of one of the ones that I played that I liked a lot, and one that I didn't play but bought on recommendation from Jonathan Liu over at Geek Dad. Told me to, to check out Nevermore, which is a smirk and dagger game. And it's essentially hate drafting the game, as far as I could tell. I read the rules and it's pretty simple drafting game where you're, you're taking cards, passing around, taking one, you know, and building a hand. And then at the end, uh, there are different suits and each suit has a special power, like the attack. And you see who has the most attack cards and they get that ability to the degree that you subtract the person who had the second uh, highest amount. So if I have three attack cards and the second most is two, I get to attack someone for one damage. And so it, and all of the powers kind of work like that. And then there are ravens, which kind of screw you over but can also be really powerful if you get a lot of them. Uh so I think I'm really going to like that game. It has take that, but the more I play with kids and my current group seems to be headed towards a a place where conflict is okay and actually kind of fun. So I'm looking forward to it cuz I love drafting. I like the idea of the theme and the artwork is beautiful. So I think I think this might be a One of my favorite games that I haven't played.
0: (laughs) I'll be interested to hear when you finally get to play it. It'll be soon. How you handle it. It'll be soon. Cool. So, Dan, you loved Isle of Sky, Best game of Gen Con, maybe. What else did you love? What's your your close second?
1: Codenames, but we already talked about that. If I had to pick one after that, it would probably be either Barony or Gold West. I feel like Barony kind of got lost in the shuffle. That was released, I think, pre-Gen Con. Yeah, um, But this is from the designer of Splendor. So take that with a grain of salt, I guess. <laughs> and it's Matagot. It is Matagot. So Ooh. it's amazing. The components, there's so much wood in this game. But all right, I'll just talk about Barony. So Barony is a essentially an abstract of kind of area control. And you're trying to become the... Duke slash baron of the realm. The way you're going to do that is by constructing cities. And taking over these land plots, which then gain you points, which you can then turn in these points to acquire titles. First person to, again, acquire the title of, I think it's the Duke or the Baron, or you're ultimately going for King, but whatever triggers the end game is the Duke or the Baron. I can't remember. So it's, it's so smooth and so quick. It it gave me a real Splendor feel in that it's like a series of kind of like micro actions that kind of build up and build up into this kind of engine that gets going and then boom, it's over so barony there's like a ton there's like like six things you can do in your turn but they're all like so small and minute that it's just like bang 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 everyone's turns just keep flowing and it's it's a really i really like this one um and i was surprised i liked it as much as i did um but i i highly
0: recommend it cool i almost bought it that I didn't know, but it sounds cool. Sounds very cool. So I'm going to round it out our favorite games. The one that I got to pick up that was also kind of a hotness at Gen Con, but it came out at Origins, and that's kind of when the buzz first started was Flick 'em Up. This is the cowboy dexterity game from Pretzel Games. And this is a scenario based game. And I was very surprised because I was expecting it to be kind of just like a cheesy flicking game but it is almost like a tiny little dexterity tactical minis game kind of thing and that it may turn you away but it actually is kind of cool because there's actually some planning a little bit more of an experience than most dexterity games where it's just kind of the fun is the dexterity you've actually got to position yourself you've got to there's skill in taking the shots and like shooting people with the little bullets that you have to flick um shootouts are by far the coolest thing in the world because you sit on opposite sides of the table and try to pick each other off and the first person to get hit gets kicked out of the building um lots of cool stuff Uh, and flick them uh, excuse me lots of cool stuff and flick them up lots of scenarios to explore i've only gotten through the first couple of them but i'm i'm ready to keep digging in because i think it's actually a pretty cool and a a slightly deep um dexterity game that has obviously beautiful components slightly
1: expensive the game is so expensive
0: (laughs) yeah yeah but i mean you figure you pay 60 dollars for a regular board game it's 10 dollars more to get all wooden components in a nice wooden box so i can see it all right so i want to sandwich good things on either side of firefly dice essentially so let's just talk about our gen con miss you two get a couple of minutes to talk about firefly dice and then we'll go back to sunshine and rainbows so what what happened i don't know
2: Uh, it's the most complex push your luck dice game in the history of the world i'm pretty sure There are, I don't know, what do you think, Dan, three or four steps to your turn, and some of those steps have several phases in them. So you're rolling 15 dice and managing 15 dice, which I actually like rolling a giant handful of dice well actually two handfuls because it's 15 dice so i'll say i like that about it and i like the dice they turned out pretty nice you get two mouse pads that look exactly the same they are the board that you put your dice on they represent serenity and your cargo hold and you know the players that you're using that get KO'd and where you place your villains and all that stuff. And then there are there's also a deck of mission cards that you kind of just flip it over and see if you got the dice for it. You you, That's kind of one of the things that really bothered me about the game is that you do all this working with your dice and you pick your crew and you put it on Serenity and you know who you're up against and you know what you got and then you flip this mission card and you either have the dice for it or you don't. I... (laughs) It's kind of just like, hey, here's a random card flip. Enjoy. So it's a random card flip inside a random dice game.
1: I think what's even more frustrating about the fact that it's random is that prior to the card flip, you have the opportunity to use two of your dice to reroll other dice. But because you don't know what dice you need for this mission because it doesn't happen until the next step, the reroll is just it's so pointless and just. I don't, it just made no sense. I don't understand why.
2: The reroll isn't pointless completely because you know the villain dice that you have because those you just roll and you just have them. And there are ways to reroll them even. But uh, you can reroll your dice to fit the villains that you're up against. So that makes a difference.
1: I guess. And then there's those bonuses. But those bonuses are so. I don't know. I kept saying the word convoluted, and that's basically how I would sum up shiny dice. It was just weird. How important are those missions? Like, how how important is the card flip? It depends. The mission, some of the missions have no kind of reward, but each mission has this keyword. And again, this keyword, which doesn't, you have to refer back to the rule book constantly to see what the keyword means until you kind of get better at the game. Um, there's like six different keywords. So when you flip the mission, some of the keywords trigger automatically. Some of them happen at the end of your turn. Some of them, they happen at all different parts of your turn and affect different parts of your turn. So the mission itself could have a reward for completing the mission. It could have a reward for not completing the mission or a penalty.
2: A penalty. Yeah.
1: And it's just, I don't know. There's just so many. And like some of the missions do a damage to the villain, but other ones don't. And they, oh my God, there were so many. Rules yeah. And the rule book was horribly written. It was done in columnar form with bullet points. And it's it's the size of like a small dice game box. So like you're trying to read these columns and it's got bullet points and each bullet point is like a new rule completely. And oh my, I... I immediately, after the first turn, I put it on BGG for sale.
2: Well, I mean, if you looked, (laughs) the group next to us that we were hanging out with, because we were like, okay, we're going to play games now. Oh, there's too many of us. Let's split into two groups. We split up. The other group was playing Barony, played their whole game of Barony before we finished playing a push your luck dice game.
0: Yeah. Three rounds. So. That was going to be my question. Is I watched you guys on Periscope, and I watched twenty minutes of TC taking one turn. That was, mm-hmm. that,
1: that's the thing. That's the first. That's like going through the steps once. You can continue to do that as the pressure luck part. That's the thing, um, uh, and that's considered your one turn. You can do that three times. The downtime kinda... is ridiculous in this game. Uh, we yeah. took an I timed it. It was an hour and a half to play that game three rounds. It's a pressure dice game. It's just not what game. you
2: expect from a pressure lock dice game. You know, you expect it to be a more streamlined version of the Firefly experience, and I don't know. I can follow Firefly the board game.
1: You could probably play that in less time.
2: Easily. <laughs> like I it, it's just Because, okay, you have a player screen, which you can't read unless you flip it. The way it's angled, it's hard to read. And it's probably even worse if you're actually tall. I am not. And I'm like trying to... And I'm you don't really need the screen. It just covers up what money you have. And that's on cards, so...
1: And you don't need it. The cards could have been one-sided and you just played them face down. Like, the screens are pointless. I would have preferred... The screens
2: are necessary. They're necessary because... because
1: there's 12 different die
0: faces on your crew. So the screens are necessary. The
2: screens are necessary because there's so much information that you have to have in front of you. You have to know what each die face does. And it's really hard. I mean, if you know the show, it definitely helps because a lot of the things are thematic with, you know, the character I think. And so that's kind of good about it. But you just, you have this screen with a massive, it's kind of like Roll for the Galaxy when you first look at that screen and you're like, holy crap. Except for Roll for the Galaxy, after you've played around, you know how to do it. You don't need all that info. Whereas like I was studying that screen pretty much every time I had to reread everything. It just, it wasn't as intuitive and they still could have included more information on that screen to make gameplay a little easier like the keywords for the cards or if they had just had some text explaining the keywords on the cards would have been helpful so there's just a lot going on
0: how was the uh the reception of the game like were people buying it yeah you guys bought it were, i mean so were you standing in line were people fighting over it was it a big game i mean
2: people weren't fighting over it i stood in the upper deck line because someone i was or it was joe it was joe pinchback was Picking up the predator, legendary encounters predator. And so I figured, okay, if I'm going to stand in this line for a while, I might as well pick up shiny dice. It's firefly. It's dice. What could possibly go wrong? Dice. <laughs> and so, oh. so I think a lot of people were picking it up, but I like dice games. So like you, sh- <laughs> that's the thing. I was willing to overlook a lot for this game because I love firefly. I love it and i don't know
1: i sold this mine is, yeah.
2: this is bad for me
1: i'm so thankful we tried to play the second time just to see if we were just screwing things up and what you saw on periscope as soon as we ended that we stopped the game we didn't even finish
2: yeah
1: i didn't get to try it
2: i still have my copy if you're interested I play in the awesomely playing it. bad
1: game. you can go buy it i'm keeping mine in shrink because i just sold it
2: <laughs> i'll sell they mine at they are gonna
0: discount. be releasing uh, some rules clarifications because apparently the designer has some concerns about people potentially getting stuff wrong.
1: Okay. so just, I feel so bad because I, I love Tox. He's such a good guy. He's a great reviewer, a great you know, asset to the, the hobby. But this game was just not good for us.
2: We've ripped on it for pretty y'all. thoroughly. But I think, yeah, I think there's some potential in there. Like there, there were things about it that I liked it's just the execution of it and i don't know how much he had to do with what components they chose or how they designed the rule book or the screen because i think that has a lot to do with why we're not enjoying it
1: i had no issue with the components i thought that was probably the the best part about it the art on the box was nice the dice the custom dice were nice the play mats were a great touch the rule book was horrible but the cards were not they were fine you know as money i think components were fine i think gameplay was just underdeveloped i think it needed more and i had talked to a couple people at the con who had demoed it at either origins or last year at gen con when they had the original proto and they were like did they change it because from what i remember it wasn't that good and i you know i kind of went through my experience but they're just trying to do too much there it's just a simple dice game like it's a pressure luck dice game and they put 15 different faces on these dice, and each one did something different. And it was just, and the phasing and how of the steps through, it just...
2: It just needed, I mean, it definitely needs some streamlining on how your turn works, because there's just a lot going on. And, um, you know, the mission cards aren't very satisfying, because you, you don't really do anything. It's not you that's completing that mission. It's like a wild guess.
1: I found nothing satisfying in the game.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I still, even though I really didn't like it, like it better than you did, just because I'm more prone to dice games. And I, again, I just love Firefly. And I think a lot of the things with the dice and how they interact, they make sense thematically with that world. It's just that it was so much more complicated. It's got a lot of theme. It should be.
0: Got a lot of theme, just doesn't okay. have a lot of game. All right. Well, now that we've had a chance to decompress, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's good. That's it's good. Um, let's, like I said, bring it back to Sunshines and Rainbows. So let's round out the show with our favorite events and experiences. So let's run down the line. Dan, your favorite thing about Gen Con this year? Other than my awesome roommates,
1: Matt Riddle and Ben Pitchback and Joe Pitchback, and at some point Tiff. who bummed the floor. Um, It was great hanging out with those guys. It was great seeing and hanging out with everyone else. Uh, Dan Patrice, TC, all those guys, Matt Wolf, Kopak. Obviously, that's the best part about cons. But for me, um, I think it was the Asmo Day event. I was really impressed with the event itself, um, the organization of it. Again, the friendliness of everyone there, the designers, the Asmodee staff, and just being able to sit down in a quiet atmosphere and play a lot of their amazing unreleased games. Uh, it It was a lot of fun. And again, meeting new people and reviewers and all kinds of stuff there. So that was my favorite single thing about Gen Con.
0: Cool. Uh, my favorite thing about Gen Cant was Steve and I's 12-hour two-player mini-marathon where we played eight games in 12 hours, just me and him, and, and I don't know, it was just a good time. Uh, I also enjoyed that there were Ashes tournaments at GenCon because that means that organized play is coming, so I'm excited about that. But anyway, TIFF. Gen Con 2015, best parts?
2: Um. Well, the Day press event was pretty awesome, so that's up there for me too. I also really enjoyed going to the Building the Game Iron Design Challenge and watching Josh Mills and Jason Tagmeier face off in a series of design-related events, and Bruno Cathala was one of the judges. So it was pretty cool seeing him just sort of take in all of these friends of mine and and uh, their personalities and this wacky challenge. And I think overall, he looked like he had a really good time, and it was fun. Josh showed up in a white, all white suit, so that's always a fun thing <laughs> to watch. Um, he looked then- like my
1: duvet cover. It was like a <laughs> subtle, a subtle stripe, like a damask bedsheet. Like I was like, dude, mm-hmm. you look like my duvet.
2: <laughs> real classy, real classy. So, uh, and I think he got robbed, too, just saying. Sorry, Jason Tagmeier, love you. But very entertaining stuff from Josh Mills at that thing. Uh, but anyway, the that was fun. And the last thing I did, actually... I stuck out to me is I would just, I was kind of spent on Sunday night and I did, this is the first time I've ever not had to drive home late on Sunday night and struggle my way into work the next day. So I really enjoyed being able to take it easy and not worry about the drive home. Uh, we played games in our hotel lobby, uh, had a couple of beers and I and I ended up playing trick taking games of all things with W. Eric Martin, my hipster idol and uh, Matt Wolfe yet another hipster uh so that was fun we played uh Gurken, or five cucumbers if you like the english and uh and then we played bottle imp two very vastly uh different trick-taking games on either side of the spectrum and uh it 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 improved my opinion of trick-taking games so i'm starting to look for some more of those now so it was fun the
0: listeners have really been able to track your growth tiff (laughs) through this podcast yeah you're trying so many new things i know
2: (laughs) buying less games and trying new things it's amazing
0: very cool so that is gen con 2015 in a very very large and long nutshell if you want to chat more about gen con or anything else board game related with us you can find us on facebook You can join us and the conversation on our BGG Guild number two zero seven seven. You can always shoot us an email at podcast at gamers dot com, or you can chat with us directly by finding us on Twitter. Tiff, where do they find you?
2: I am at inept gamer.
0: Dan, where do they find you? Chicken brown cow.
1: Oh, my God. I <laughs> got her. Anyways, uh, at leak nonsense or at scandalous underscore nad if you want to get real personal.
0: Cool. And I am at cinnamon buns spelled phonetically. So join us next week for another show. Thanks for listening. Toodles. Bye.
2: <laughs>